Hello and welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study here at Celebration Church. Deb and I are now going back on the road this year. Winter, winter spring seminar schedule <clears throat> starting uh, this weekend. We had to actually take off today because of the flights to get to where we needed to go. And uh, we'll be back Saturday, so hence the recording of the uh, teaching before uh, before I, uh, before uh, Wednesday night. Uh, so anyway, back to work. Uh, we've been off since uh, about a week or two before November and have been off until now. And it's great. We love being off. I love not traveling all over the world. Uh, people always ask us, does it bother you that you have to travel? No, I mean, you don't think about it. You just do what you got to do. It's like going to work. You go to work. Whether or not you enjoy getting out of bed early and going to work is irrelevant. So uh, we travel and do what we do because we believe this is what we're supposed to be doing. Uh, but the, uh, obviously it's more fun, or it's easier, not more fun, but easier to stay home and not travel. If you've never traveled, uh, you don't know what I'm talking about. Some people love it because they get to do it once in a while. But if you did it every week, every week, pack up, go to the airport, stand in line, do everything, get to where you're going to go, pack up, get back on, preach, it never ends. Uh, It gets a little old after a while, but it is what it is. Hence, the reason for recording this ahead of time this week. We are in Romans, the letter, Paul's letter to the Romans. We are now in chapter 13. We'll pick it up at verse one. Now, this this whole section here is, is real interesting. This is the part of the Bible that makes it very clear that Christians are supposed to obey the law. Not the law of Moses, just the law of wherever you live. The law of the governing authorities, the police, the the state, if you will. And uh, we'll pick it up here. It says, now let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. In other words, obey them. For there is no authority except that which God has established. That's a little tough. Uh, particularly in democratic types of governments like our own, uh, we tend to only want to subject ourselves to the government that we agree with. And if the person we voted for wins and we don't agree with them, we don't want to be subject to them. And uh, it is what it is. It's kind of a fine line. On the one hand, we need to respect the laws, but it doesn't mean that you can't... uh, work to change the laws or to vote the bum out, whoever it was or whoever it is at any given time you don't like. So that's all fine to be politically active and and to uh, advocate your causes. But there is this underlying truth that we are to submit to uh, our governing authorities uh, because there is really no authority except that which God has established. Hard to believe sometimes when Uh, that governing authority seems to act in an anti-God way. Uh, And uh, I mean, it is what it is. Um, A lot of people think, well, Paul only meant this to apply to godly governments, but that can't possibly be what he's referring to because he's writing to the Romans, the Roman Empire at this time, and he's under it as well. Everybody in Jerusalem under the thumb of Rome, uh, a thumb is an understatement. The boot of Rome is on their necks at all times. These are pagans. 
They are ungodly. They're a disaster in so many levels. Uh, but when Paul writes, we should be subject to the governing authorities, we're talking about, you know, these authorities that were pretty brutal and not, you know, exactly pro-born-again Christian governments, uh, evil in so many ways. This is the government that eventually is uh, going to take Christians in mass and persecute them, throw them to the lions, you know, uh, kill all kinds of people just because of their faith, oppress the Christian faith. Uh, and there's a fine line. When God, if they pass a rule that is contrary to God's law, then you have to resist that law. It's like when uh, the apostles were called in front of the Sanhedrin, the leaders in Israel. And they told them and commanded them, stop preaching in the name of Jesus. Their answer was, look, <clears throat> you have to decide whether they're supposed to obey God or man. I mean, at that point, they're drawing a line in the sand. We'll obey the rules. We'll pay our taxes. We'll do whatever we're supposed to do. But when you tell us we can't be Christians anymore, that's a law we can't agree. So even in the book of Acts, we see where they drew the line and said, no, no, no. We're going to obey God rather than man. And when uh, Rome was telling them they couldn't meet and gather and preach the gospel, they did it anyway. So they uh, disrespected, if you will, or disobeyed those laws only when they were in contrast uh, against God's laws. Uh, but if they're not in contrast against God's laws, we're supposed to obey them. Most of the laws that he's really talking about here, and you'll see in just a second, has to do with civil order, you know, uh, stuff that would... Uh, cause you to be arrested for disobedience or rowdiness or disrupting the peace or not paying your taxes and that kind of stuff. Christians should not be lumped into that group. If we want to take a stand on certain things, then that's fine. It's like back in the early 70s uh, with uh, Pastor Joe and I and, and our wives <laughs> and a bunch of us other rowdy Christians uh, would uh, smuggle Bibles behind the Iron Curtain in Eastern Europe. It was against the law. We did it anyway because uh, better to obey God than man. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel everywhere. We didn't care that the communists said you couldn't preach the gospel. We did it anyway. Now, beyond that, we were respectful of their laws and stuff. And I remember some Christians at the time criticizing uh, those who did smuggle Bibles into the Iron Curtain uh, and said, you know, uh, we're breaking the law and the Bible says we're supposed to obey the law and they would throw this verse particularly at us. But uh, <clears throat> when it comes to a difference between serving God and not serving God, doing right, not doing right, that's where you got to lay down the law. For example, if the government passes a law and so says you, you, you can't gather together and worship Jesus, uh, we're going to disobey that law. Even though Christians are supposed to obey the law because authorities are from God. But anyway, I think you're getting the point, okay? So short of laws that contradict what we're supposed to be doing directly from God, we're supposed to respect and obey authority. Authority is giving, given in the world to keep people in line. When there is no authority, when there is no law, when there's, the people go crazy. They've always gone crazy. Uh, we're doing our study on Sunday mornings about significant uh, events in the Old Testament. One of them we're going to get to very soon now is... Uh, the flood of Noah. And the reason why the world got flooded out is uh, it was just a big free-for-all. There, no, there were no laws. There was no Ten Commandments. There wasn't much of anything. God just said, look, if, if you do right, it'll go well with you. If you don't, it won't. 
And uh, basically people got to live by their own consciences and it was an unmitigated disaster. People became so violent and so awful that it was beyond God's temperament to even handle. He had to reset the whole planet uh, with Noah again and wipe out everybody else just to put it back in line. And shortly thereafter, immediately there became more rules that came along with it and eventually uh, governments and stuff to help enforce civil behavior. All right, so uh, there is no authority except that which God has established and the authorities that exist have been established by God. Now, the authority for protecting people for, uh, you know, police forces, fire departments, all that kind of stuff, basic rule of law, that is true. There are, of course, governments in the earth that it'd be really hard to say God has established it because they're anti-Christ governments or anti-God governments. Uh, you know, the concept of government ruling people and, and trying to keep order is what he's talking about. Not, I don't think God established Government, some of the crazy ones out there that just hate God and are anti-Christian and stuff. Uh, anyway, consequently, whoever rebels against the authority that God has established is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. Again, he's talking really about civic rule. If there's anybody who ever got arrested, it was Paul. <laughs> Paul, Paul and his <laughs> friends were busted all the time. They were constantly, they'd come to jail and, or come to jail, yeah. They'd come to city and eventually wind up in jail. More often than not, he was always breaking the law and getting things upset. And uh, eventually we're, we're getting ready to talk about this, uh, finishing up the third missionary journey of Paul. He's now in Corinth writing to the Italians. Well, he gets down here, he gets arrested. They drag him all the way back to Italy to stand trial uh, where he eventually is, uh, is killed as a martyr for Christ. So <clears throat> when, when he's talking about this thing about honoring rules and stuff and honoring governments and all this stuff that God has established, he's really talking about civil rule, normal rule that brings uh, stability to the world and to the earth. Without it, as I just said, the world goes crazy. So these things are good. Um, so he says those... Uh, those who rebel against authorities are rebelling what God has instituted and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. Well, I mean, Paul, he got arrested. He got the snot kicked out of him, whipped, uh, miserable. Uh, <laughs> so uh, clearly, you know, he's not saying don't advance the cause of Christ in this context. He's talking about normal everyday living. He says, for rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. That's his point. If you're doing wrong, if you're breaking the law, if you're stealing from people, if you're, you know, driving your car, probably didn't have cars at this time, but you know, driving your car 100 miles an hour in a 25 mile an hour school zone, you're going to get arrested and you're going to pay a price and you're supposed to pay the price. This is the kind of uh, law that he's talking about. Civil obedience to, for, for the sake of order. That's what we're supposed to obey. Clearly, again, just making it clear, when those laws go against the faith, we ignore those laws, as Paul himself did, and why, even though he's writing this, he himself was often in Huskow for breaking some law uh, because he was so uh, intense on preaching the gospel. 
He says, do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right and you will be commended. In other words, there's no reason to fear the police if you do the right thing, okay? If you do the wrong thing, they're going to arrest you. If you go too fast, you're going to get pulled over, you know? And without setting a big firestorm, because we don't have much problems here in Green Bay with this, but all this stuff with the police and you know, inner city people getting themselves in trouble. I understand the complaint about being persecuted uh, for your color or for this or the police being a heavy hand and stuff. But man, those guys sure lose their argument when the people who are doing this are breaking the law. You know, they punch a cop in the face and the cop overreacts. Okay, he shouldn't overreact, but don't punch the guy in the face. Don't be robbing stores and worrying about how harshly you're treated afterwards. And don't, you know, if these people were just doing right and people were oppressing them and stopping them, then and, and those kind of cases, absolutely, I agree 100%. If they're just pulling them over just because they're black, Puerto Rican, whatever the deal, I'm a Puerto Rican, I wouldn't appreciate it one bit. I understand that. I know what it's like to be looked down because, uh, uh, especially, especially in a little Wisconsin town that I grew up in, we didn't look like all the other blonde boys and girls. And uh, we got all kinds of grief. I know what that's like. It's not a lot of fun. Uh, but what he's saying is if you want to avoid fear of authorities, don't break the law. And then generally speaking, you won't have to fear them. Uh, granted, if they are not doing anything and they're still being persecuted, then they've got a very clear case. You know, that's the only thing. I, I just don't understand this, you know, you know, uh, the cops tell people to stop and they don't stop and they keep running at the cops and reaching for their, and then the cops shoot them. Later they find out there's nothing on them. Well, the cop doesn't know that. He's afraid too. He doesn't want to die today. A police officer tells you to stop, you stop. Anyways, this, our country's so jacked up today and all that is put in a blender and twirled up and, oh, you know. I, I, I would feel so much better if minorities, and I would technically fall in this category of minorities as a Latino, uh, you know, don't act crazy and don't do stupid stuff and don't break laws and uh, maybe this would avoid a lot of the stuff everybody's complaining about. Anyway, as is Paul saying, you don't want to be afraid of authority, then do what's right. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, then be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Of course, today we cry if there's punishment on the wrongdoer. Well, of course there's punishment on the wrongdoer. They're doing wrong. Now you can say, well, it's overly harsh punishment. Okay, but seriously, it's, <laughs> instead of just complaining that someone's overly punishing, how about stop doing wrong in the first place? Don't say, man, you... All right, therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment is the one reason, but also as a matter of conscience, because you're, so your conscience will be clear, okay? Live right, do right, uh, and, and grant it. Now, in all fairness to people of color, especially blacks in this country, uh, there is a long history in this country of people who were minding their own business and doing nothing, and harsh retribution for just, it was horrible. Man, just do some, I'm, I'm reading now, I love history, I read a lot about history, just 
reading history of the civil rights movement, stuff that was done is just, it's beyond the pale. It's unbelievable what used to happen in this country, okay? Uh, that's a clear case. We get that, and that should be fought against. Again, I just think it's sad today that people are complaining that they're being, you know, I robbed the store and they were too harsh with me, or I, <laughs> I punched a cop and he was too harsh with me, or I, I threatened some officers and they wind up shooting me. Okay, don't do bad. Because it just makes it hard to have this conversation. Anyway, so all these people who are in authority, this is why you pay taxes, he says. For the authorities are God's servant who gives their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay the taxes. If revenue, then pay the revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. All right? Pay what is due. And talk about this whole context of disrespect and honor. I mean, so many people are so disrespectful to the authorities and even threatening to the authorities. Then they're shocked when the authorities lash back out at them and maybe use too much force. I get it. They shouldn't use too much force. I'm, I'm not justifying that. I'm just saying, how about a little bit on the other side? I've always stop the crazy in the first place. And by the way, as I've said many, many times, respect the police. If a police officer, I'm stunned at how many people, I've seen Christians, the cop pulls them over and they start yelling and barking, what are you doing? You're just, I'm not going too fast. Really? Shut up. Show some respect. No respect in this country today. A little respect. Okay? Honor people. Uh, well, I don't like it. Well, <laughs> don't go too fast <laughs> and you won't get pulled over. Uh, and if you do, then, and you think you're unfairly treated, then take that to court later. Don't be yelling at some officer, threatening the officer, and the officer winds up shooting you because he doesn't know what you're going to do. <sighs> well, it just, just drives me crazy. What a mess. All right, moving on. He says, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another for whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. Talking about now the law of Moses, the Old, the old Testament law. So now this first part, let no debt remain outstanding. This is a scripture that is often uh, quoted uh, encouraging Christians not to be in debt. And it's a good thing not to be. You want to avoid debt as much as possible. Don't be quick to jump into debt. Uh, it, it turns into just this huge weight around your neck and you can't function. I know there's this immediate rush of I get this stuff. If I just throw this card, sign on the spotted line, I get all this stuff and whoo, great. Uh, but you just, just want to be careful. I, I, don't, I don't think... Uh, and, and I'm certainly not looking for any argument in this realm. I don't think it's a sin to like get a mortgage for your house because in that sense, you're getting in debt. Uh, on the other hand, I mean, we could debate debt. I mean, as long as you have enough down and the house is, is worth, you know, whatever it's supposed to be worth, in a sense... Don't misunderstand me. In a sense that it, it covers itself. In other words, if you were to default on the loan, they retain the house, they can resell it. They should be covered for their losses and stuff like that. So th that stuff makes more sense. Something that's certainly more secured or you have a lot cash down and a smaller part uh, that's put on, uh, on some kind of a, a debt situation. 
in that case, you're able to get out of it just a lot easier is what I'm trying to say. The most damaging ones are unsecured debt. That's a bad one. That's, that's credit card debt. That's, you know, it's nothing but just pure unadulterated debt and you will pay a high price in interest to these people. It'll just suck the life out of you. Avoid that. Try to avoid debt as much as possible. Uh, try to live within your means, man. Nothing is more frustrating than to not have enough money because you're up to your eyeballs in debt. And everybody does this. Everybody tends to take whatever income their level and live at the max of that level, and then they can't breathe. Gas goes up 25 cents, they can't breathe. Don't live that way. If you get a big, if you're comfortable where you're at and you get a big uh, increase in your pay, don't get a nicer car. Don't buy a bigger house. Don't do all that stuff and just enjoy the extra money. You're, just, you're under no obligation now because you got a big raise to go out and buy a big yo mama house so that now you can be up to your eyeballs in debt in the mo yo mama house. Because you could get that and all of a sudden now you lose the job. Now you're just in a big mess. It just seems like what? No matter how much money people get, they keep just jacking it up. Nicer cars, nicer house, nicer. And pretty soon, they're making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. I know people like this. They make hundreds of thousands of dollars a year and they can barely go out for dinner. One couple of dollars, they make $500,000 a year. Ask them to go to dinner. Well, we're on a budget right now. We're trying not. What? I mean, that's just crazy. Don't live like that. Don't get caught into this thing. Get comfortable. The Bible says godliness with contentment is great gain. Learn to be happy with what you got. And there's a great freedom. Could I have a nice car, nicer than the rusted out red pickup truck that I drive? Yes, I could drive a cool BMW. People will give me all kinds of money, you know, especially if you're not much debt and you show your income. I could sign for any of that junk driving around it, but then I got no money. What's the point? Now I got such a high car payment, I can't do anything. I can't go to dinner. I can't go. It's just not worth it. What's, don't, stop. Stop. You don't need to keep spending more and more stuff. Every time your income gets a little higher, a little better job, a little something, and you just start sucking that off, especially in debt, that's a problem. Now, if you got the cash to do it, then knock yourself out. But it's particularly dead. As soon as you get a little bit higher, those who want to loan money, look, oh, you got money more, you qualify, okay, let's give you this loan. Well, now you just sign away part of your life for that and just keep doing this over and over again. You'll never get anywhere. Try to avoid the debt, except the debt to love people. And he says, because that is what fulfills the law, the commandments. Now he's talking about the 10 commandments. And the 10 commandments, by the way, are part of the law of Moses. We are free of the law of Moses. You mean that means we don't have to obey the Ten Commandments? Well, look what he says. The commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You should not murder. You should not steal. You should not covet. And whatever other command there may be are all summed up in one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. So it is still true that we do not live by the law of Moses, but we live by the law of love. And in a sense, the law of love fulfills all the requirements. Certainly the major ones of the law of Moses, what you eat, what you don't eat, when you work, what you get, all that stuff just kind of gets washed away. For a Christian, uh, we're not obligated to obey those laws. Uh, and even the Ten Commandments is all summed up in one law. Love people. 
If you love people, you don't steal their wives. If you love people, you don't steal their stuff. If you love people, I don't know, you don't kill them, okay? Now, next verse. And do this, understand the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because your salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness. So now what he's talking about is the time is short. Now, he's talking in the context of the Lord's return. Now, you have to remember, these guys thought Jesus was coming back any minute. So already it's been decades, it hasn't returned. And what he says, look, uh, uh, our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. We know he's coming. We've already been along this way. So we got to be closer to it now than then. And that's true. And certainly 2,000 years later, we got to be a lot closer to it now uh, than then. Uh, but we don't know when the Lord's coming back. What is true is that your encounter with death is a lot closer now than it was 10 years ago, all right? We all have a limited clock on us. So whether you're talking about the return of the Lord or just life itself, everybody's got a big tick, 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 tick going, and there's only so many tick-tocks in all of us that we get. Some of us a lot more than others, some sadly hardly any at all. Uh, don't waste your time, is what he's saying. Take it seriously. Don't just sit around and sleep away your life. Make your life work. Don't waste your time. Put away the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. He says the night's almost over. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness. Why? Because carousing and drunkenness is a waste of time. You're gonna get together and just carouse and goof off and be silly. It's just that you're wasting time. Don't do that. And then he goes on and says, and not in sexual immorality and debauchery. Another complete and total waste of time. You want to talk about something that'll just suck the time and takes your soul is getting involved in sexual immorality. That is highly time consuming and very destructive to your life. Uh, there's a promise of, oh, it'll be so wonderful on the other side, but it's always a lie and it will suck the life out of you. Don't get involved in that stuff. Don't get involved in dissension and jealousy. Also, another major waste of time. Fighting people and being jealous of other people. He's got that. I don't like that. And this pastor, I think, he's not biblical. By the way, if at any point you think that I have completely lost my ever-loving mind and I'm no longer biblical, you know, just go to another church. You know, don't, don't create dissension. Don't go around and start pointing out faults. And I don't think he does that. And I don't think he does it. You know. oh, we used to have so much of that in this church. 99% of it is gone. Thank God. There's still 1% of crazy <laughs> that roam the halls. <laughs> you'll, you'll hear them every once in a while. They pop up. They're just, oh God, spare us of this insanity. All this work and energy of criticizing and dissension and trying to get people on your side to criticize that and this and that. Oh my goodness, just awful. Rather, he says, clothe yourself, with the Lord, clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. So he's back to basic Christian living, which is what he was talking about. 
in the 12th chapter of Romans, which I enjoyed that, just about talking about love and how to live your life. Uh, just great advice. Don't think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Excuse me. All right, now, this is really key here. He says, don't think about how to, just, to gratify the desires of the flesh because if you think about it, you're more than likely inevitably going to do it. And hardly anybody ever does something without thinking about it first. Don't take, if you catch yourself thinking bad things a lot, an alarm clock needs to go off inside you. This is bad. You're headed for a bad place and you're going to do something bad. If you're always thinking about how to get back at somebody or punch somebody in the face, always think about what you think is wrong and somebody done you wrong and thinking about, man, I should do this. First of all, in the context of what he's talking about, it's an incredible waste of time. But more so than that, if you do if you keep thinking about it, you're eventually going to do it. You know, you're thinking lustful thoughts or inappropriate thoughts about somebody else. You know, you're going to put yourself in a situation where more than likely you're going to do it. He says, don't think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh because that is the first step to actually doing it. Very, very rarely do people do something bad or wrong that has not been thoroughly rehearsed in their head ahead of time. Now they will act like, I don't know how it happened. I wasn't expecting it to happen. It just, boom, happened just like that. I guess in theory that is possible with some people who are very weak in nature. I suppose that's even for some, even likely, just the very uh, opportunity to do something stupid or wrong. They'll just jump in uh, head first. But by and large, that's not the way it works. Uh, you get it into your head. You give birth to it in your head and then it gets into your heart, and then eventually you do it. The reason why it feels like a surprise to so many people because they, th they don't put two and two together. They think, well, just because I thought it doesn't mean anything. I, I, I never really meant to do it. I just, yeah, well, you keep thinking about it, you keep thinking about it, and think about it. You're setting the path to doing it. Uh, again, it's a horrible waste of time, as in the context here about don't waste your time and all this nonsense. But uh, it, is, uh, it is the profit of your future. You want to know what your tomorrow is going to look like? What's in your head today? It's true. What you tend to think about a, like is a lot is where you're probably going to end up. If you're always thinking, and there's people who do, do, do this, either thinking bad sexual thoughts or anger thoughts or I'm going to get even thoughts or jealousy thoughts or envious thoughts and then eventually they wind up doing, saying something bad somewhere, somehow and they're kind of shocked that they did it because they don't connect. Of course you're going to do that. You keep thinking it. You keep rehearsing it over and over and over and over. You're going to do it. Okay? And you're going to get yourself in a lot of trouble. Watch what is in your head. Uh, it should set alarms off. If your head is constantly in a bad place uh, and you're really struggling, at a minimum, talk to another Christian friend about it. Say, can you help me, man? I'm really struggling with this, that, or other. And, you know, the more light you shine on secrets, the more they tend to dissipate. If there's one thing that sin needs to control you, it's secrecy. The more secrecy you give to the temptations and the anger and frustrations of your heart and mind, the more it will control you. You want to have victory over these things before they drag you into a bad place that you'll pay an awful price and it's not worth it? Turn the lights on. 
Turn the lights on. Talk about it. Be open about it. Share with others. Get it out of in here. And you will find it's incredibly liberating. Okay? Don't, you know, of course a lot of people, they, they start struggling with these things and they know they shouldn't be thinking certain types of things, whatever it might be. Uh, and they think, well, I, I can't share because, you know, everybody's going to think I'm bad. Uh, highly unlikely. Most people will be empathetic because almost everybody struggles with thoughts at one level or another or at one time or another and in a wide, wide variety. All those are fairly limited variety <laughs> that we all struggle with. Everybody's pretty much the same. The more you talk about it, uh, the freer it is. Uh, turn the lights on. Um, you know, some years ago, I just thought of this. I, I was in a, uh, <clears throat> I'd gotten out of ministry for a while and we stayed in the church and we still, you know, worked very much in the church, but uh, I stopped being a pastor and we had our own jobs and stuff. I had my own production company and we did videos and I wrote music for radio and television and stuff like that. So anyway, I had this one project. It was for morality and media, a video project. And they wanted to do a video exposing the dangers of pornography. Now this is a long time. I mean, this is way before porn became anywhere near the plague that it is today. I mean, this was before high-speed internet and stuff. That's where most people get all this stuff shoved down their throats and poisoning them today. Uh, back then, it was still mostly magazines and stuff. So <clears throat> I remember meeting with them, and they wanted to discuss the kind of stuff that, that we were fighting against. So here we are with this group of people. It was probably six of us discussing what they wanted to do and, and talk about. And they started opening up these filthy magazines and showing stuff that would just make a normal person want to vomit. You know, but it was really bad. And I'm standing next to the ladies like my mom, you know, and it was all kind of weird. But I'll never forget thinking, sorry about that. Is <laughs> my phone goes off, poor form, stop. Okay, I'll never forget thinking as... All this was happening, and I'm thinking, you know, it's so weird because there was no sense of temptation at all in any of the stuff that we were seeing. And I thought that was really odd. And, but I didn't say a word about that. And about a minute later, the guy who's leading this, he says to us, you know, they teach us one thing. Whenever you look at this stuff, always only do it with a group of people. Because when you do it with a group of people, it has almost no impact on you. It's when you do it in secret that it chokes you. I mean, it was fascinating listening to him. So lessons learned a long time ago. It's the secrecy of stuff uh, that'll get you in trouble. Um, better to be open with your struggles, uh, whatever it is, your anger, your frustration, your fears, your immorality, whatever it is, all these temptations. Don't just let this stuff run crazy in your head or it'll drag you down and cause all kinds of problems, all right? So don't think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh, all that stuff, all that is just a complete solid waste of time. All right, now, that's chapter 13. Now, chapter 14, remembering, of course, that none of these things were written in chapters. That was broken up later, just so we have a reference here. But now, this part of the letter, Paul immediately goes into <laughs> another one of his frustrating writings where, you know, this isn't the first time. We ran into a lot of it in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, where he's talking about stuff and it's like, what are you talking about it just didn't seem to make a whole lot of sense <clears throat> okay so we get that again here in chapter 14 now this is the struggle between 
strong Christians and weak Christians and being careful how you act, how a strong Christian acts around a weak Christian, causing them to stumble or fall. The problem is we don't really know what he's talking about or it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And I'll get into it with you and you'll take a look at it here. So he says, accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. Okay, that's simple. I get that. And if there's one thing at Celebration Church, we made a decision when we uh, first put in uh, our, our, our church and, and started Celebration Church that we weren't going to get into arguing over stupid stuff. We weren't going to get into disputable matters. That's why we just, we focus on, what do we believe? The stuff in the Apostles' Creed, you know? Not everything that we believe is there, but that's, that's kind of the fundamental of it. We don't argue about predestination. We don't argue about the rapture. We don't argue about speaking in tongues. We don't argue about all these stuff that Christians go at each other's throats and have argued over some of the stupidest things on earth. For what purpose? So we avoid that. But that's not what he's talking about. I like the concept. Don't argue over stupid stuff. But the disputable stuff he's talking about is what can you eat and what you can't eat. Okay? And I gotta tell you, it's just not something we struggle with today. I, you know, the theologians, if you read and look into, they all have their theory of what he's talking about. I'm just saying, in, in today's context, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I don't know anybody, because he's really talking about people who, are, who like to eat meat and those who like to eat vegetables. We have meat eaters, which I would fall into that category. We have vegetarians. We have people in church in that category. But nobody's at each other's throats over it, and it doesn't ruin their faith. But apparently there were people like that during his time. He says, one person's faith allows them to eat anything. That would be me. I'm in the anything category. But another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. Okay. I don't know who that is. I, I know people who eat only vegetables, you know, but it's it has nothing to do with their faith. It's just, that's the way they eat. Uh, anyway, the one who eats everything, that would be me, must not treat with contempt the one who does not and pick on them, okay? And the one who does not eat, on everything, eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. In a sense, he's saying, mind your own business. Don't argue about these stupid things. Shut up, all right? Now that I like. That I get. And when he get to the end of this whole talk, he basically says the same thing. Mind your business. All right, but then he gets into all this other stuff which makes my head swim. So anyway, who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servant, stand or fall. And they will stand for the Lord is able to make them stand. Because here's the thing. The person apparently who can eat any, now, now he might be talking about the difference between, I mean, I don't know what he's talking about. The difference between Jews and non-Jews because Jews had strict rules, non-Jews didn't. Maybe that's what he's hinting at. The non-Jewish Christians were eating anything because you could eat anything. The Jewish Christians couldn't eat everything and maybe they were judging and attacking each other. I don't know, but it didn't have to do just with vegetables, but maybe that's what he's implying about. I don't know. All I know is apparently there was this debate going on and he's saying, stop, who are you to judge? You know, because that guy eats that, let him eat it. If he doesn't want to eat it, what do you care? Because he's the Lord's servant. So, because here's the thing. People are convinced, unless you think just like me, you can't possibly be a Christian. And what he's saying here is, look, they can stand because the Lord can make them stand. They don't have to be just like you. 
which is a stand that we take here at Celebration Church and have always tried to emphasize. We don't all have to think the same about everything. We can have people who think one way about predestination uh, and others who think completely the opposite. We can be brothers and sisters in Christ. Why should that divide us? It's absurd. We don't need different churches over that issue. We got some people who speak in tongues, other people who would refuse to speak in tongues if God came to them and tried to give them tongues. They wouldn't take them. Okay, well, we can still be brothers and sisters. It shouldn't divide us. So anyway, but be that as it may, that I understand. Meat and vegetables debate, I don't understand. Now, maybe part of this, now some theologians will say, you know, it was comes out of pagan thinking that pagans could only eat certain things or the gods would get angry at them. And, that would be, and if they got that so in their heads, why mess with them? He says, if you got someone who believes that, here's an example. My dad uh, was raised as a Muslim, eventually converted to Christianity after we became Christians. He was a Muslim all his life and he was probably 40 years old plus before he converted to Christianity. But for the rest of his life, he would never eat pork. He just couldn't eat it because all his life, he was taught he's not supposed to eat pork, which would be kind of like a Jewish person who becomes a Christian, you know? So he wouldn't eat it. So we never gave him a hard time about it, you know? For him to eat it, it would so mess with his head. I guess I could see that, how it would struggle. But I don't know anybody who argues about it. The point is, I don't see the argument. I've never experienced the argument. I've never seen any Christian come up to my dad and just try to throw bacon down his throat and have a debate over the uh, ham sandwich. I mean, I don't know. Uh, I do know that when he was in the, you know, he got dementia later in life and when he was, they were taking care of him, we failed to tell him about the pork thing. But, uh, you know, we'd come in and he's eating you know, a ham sandwich and stuff. And he's going, man, this is awesome. What is this? <laughs> because we wouldn't say anything. Because we're thinking, uh-oh, <laughs> he's eating. He's eating a ham sandwich. He's a ham sandwich. Uh, but we knew God didn't care. And as long as he didn't know, he didn't care. And so anyway. Uh, so that's one argument. Eating meat or not eating meat. The second one, he says, one person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. I am in the everyday alike category. I don't look at any day as more sacred than another. Uh, I have wonderful friends, fabulous people, Seventh-day Adventists, great people. I love these people. They're, they're just really great people. But they take the Saturday Sabbath extremely seriously. That's a really holy day to them. To me, it's no different than any other day holy uh, that's my perspective. Paul says, okay, so people have different things. He says, each should be fully convinced in their own minds. It doesn't change anything. The people who really want to uh, reverence it, they do it. You can't mess with them. But I've never attacked them and I've never made it a Seventh-day Adventist. You know, there's been a couple who've tried to enlighten me, you know. But it never attacked me. I just, you know, I'm, I'm having a hard time seeing the attacking thing going, but apparently they were attacking each other over it. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to ourselves alone. None of us dies uh, for ourselves alone. We're supposed to be connected to each other. If we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. 
You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we all will stand before the judgment seat, God's judgment seat, as it is written. As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me and every tongue will acknowledge God. So that each of us will have to give our account of ourselves to God. Therefore, stop passing judgment on one another about holy days or what is not a holy day, what you can eat, what you don't eat. Again, it's a little foreign to me because I'm not aware of anybody going at it. I'm sure maybe some of you have, I don't know, but... Instead, he says, make up your own mind not to put a stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. I belong to that same category. I think anything, you can eat anything you want. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person, it is unclean, which I would do like with my dad. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Now, this is the part where I struggle with because he says, you know, anyone who, who uh, causes another person to stumble. Uh, I don't know of anyone. I've, I'm just saying, I've seen people, I've seen people struggle with temptation and, and anger and bitterness and unforgiveness and lust and, you know, marriage is going crazy and trying to raise demon-possessed kids and all, you know, I, that I, there's so many things I understand. I just, maybe it's just me, I don't know anyone who has been forced to stumble because of the actions of someone else. Particularly in the context of what they eat or they don't eat. Or what day they worship or they don't worship. I just, really? Now, I run into Christians who are arrogant little snots who are absolutely convinced that you can't do something because I don't allow myself to do it and if you do it, you're gonna cause me to stumble. I've heard that nonsense, but I dismiss it because Paul said in the beginning, mind your own business. What do you care? You know, it's usually the person who doesn't allow themselves to do it who yells at the person who does. And then they claim, you're going to cause someone to stumble. And I reject that. I think it's baloney. I, now, Paul says you shouldn't do it if you cause someone to stumble. My argument is who has stumbled? Who has stumbled? You know, if you're one of these people, you go to a holiness church and they don't play cards because they're convinced if you play cards, you're going to wind up gambling in a casino and, and lose your family's earnings because you're going to become a poker, <laughs> poker, poker addict. Okay, but you mean if I play go fish with my kids, that's going to cause you to stumble because you see me playing go fish, you're not going to go to a casino and waste all... There are some people who would argue, yeah, you can't play cards because if you play cards, you're going to cause someone to stumble. Who has a problem playing cards? I, I get it in theory. I just, I don't get it in practicality. What, who the heck are they talking about? You know? And there's all sorts of versions of this. Not so much today, but for a while there, there was a lot. Because the holiness churches, these are people who are real strict about everything they could do or couldn't do, would always point to Christians who allowed it screaming they would cause others to stumble. But Paul says, mind your own business. But they don't mind their own business. They scream, stumble. But then they talk about the part here where Paul says, don't cause someone to stumble. My question to Paul is, would be, who stumbled? You mean to tell me there were born again Christians who loved God, who were serving Jesus, and because they saw another brother eating a bacon sandwich, they quit believing in Jesus? Maybe they did. I don't know, I, don't, I wasn't there despite my age. You'd think I was there, I wasn't there. All I know is in today's context, I, what are we talking about here? Um, granted, if you're doing something 
if in fact I played cards and as a result, you know, I, I was playing backgammon the other, <laughs> when we were up, at, up north during our, you know, New Year's time off and stuff like that. And even we played backgammon, we'd dice and playing backgammon. It was a fun little game. Now, if I played backgammon and, uh, and then Tracy Bazell, who was with us while we were playing backgammon, saw us playing dice and then I find him in a casino now and he's playing dice and it's ruined his life because he saw me and he said, the reason I did this because I saw you playing backgammon, I'd feel bad. I'd probably slap him. Because <laughs> I don't think Tracy's that stupid. But if that's what happened, I, man, I'm not going to be back at him because I, I caused him to stumble. Okay, then you'd probably hear me preach, don't play with dice because we've had five guys in church and their lives have been ruined. Because Okay, then I, I would preach that. I just don't know of anybody who has wrecked their lives because they saw someone else playing dice or playing with cards, or eating a cheese sandwich with a piece of ham in it, or whatever it is. Anyway, I mean, I agree with the principle. I, I just know the practicality of it. I'm, I, it escapes me. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. I agree. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. Okay. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. Amen. I just don't know anyone that that's ever happened to. All food is clean. Praise God. Give me a browwurst. But it's wrong for that person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. Granted, I would agree. I just don't know where this has happened. Now maybe, you know, there's thousands of people who watch this thing online. Maybe I'll send me an email and say, oh, I know 12 people who their lives were drooned because someone had a, you know, a peanut butter jelly sandwich and it wasn't kosher and their lives were destroyed. Okay, if you got stories like that, let me know. I'd, I'd love to know. I just, I have no idea. I can't, I can't even comprehend. I don't care what you do. I mean, I'm gonna eat my bratwurst, which is pig, and God knows what parts of the pig. <laughs> I have no idea. Parts is parts, man. There's probably all kinds of stuff in there. You wouldn't touch for the 10-foot pole, but they just grind it up and they stick it in that little skin and you cook it and it tastes fabulous. You know, now if you tell me you can't do that, okay. You want a cheese sandwich? I'll give you something else. I, I don't have a problem with that. I just, I just can't imagine me eating a bratwurst is going to mess your head up. He says it is better not to eat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. Now, this is the one area where evangelical Christians go psycho crazy. They don't care about the holy days or the not holy days. They don't care about the cheese sandwich versus the ham sandwich. They what they don't like is the drinking. It's the drinking. And that's where they get crazy. And they say, if you drink wine, you might cause someone to stumble. Again, I have never heard of anyone who wound up as an alcoholic because they saw someone else drinking wine. I'm not saying that story isn't there. I'm not saying it doesn't exist. I'm just saying in 62 years on this planet, I have never, ever seen it. 45 plus years since I've been serving Jesus, I've never heard of anyone. I don't know of anyone anywhere. And I've talked to other pastors and said, do you know of anyone who that's ever happened to? And they always look at me going, no, I don't know. 
I don't know why the church always talk about this. And if there's one area where the evangelical church, in my opinion, is out of its ever-loving mind, in America, in America, and you guys overseas, when you hear this, some of you are shocked. In Ameri only American evangelical Christians have this thing where they believe you should never, ever, ever drink any alcohol at all. It's by and large only in America because you travel at any, you can go to Pentecostal churches in Italy, they'll drink wine. You can go to Baptist churches in Germany and they'll drink beer. You can go anywhere, but not in America, especially in the Bible Belt. That's where all the crazy seems to come out of it. And they have prohibited, you can't ever take any kind of alcohol at all. And that is their stand. And their problem isn't that so much. They, I don't care if they don't drink it. They don't want anybody else to do it. They do what Paul says, don't do it. Why don't you mind your own business? No, no, no. If they find out that I'm doing, they'll point, how dare you drink a glass of wine? You're going to cause somebody to stumble. And my argument to that is, who's ever stumbled for such a thing? Even hardcore alcoholics will tell you. They don't have a problem being around someone else who drinks. Because it knows that isn't what causes them to stumble. There's hardcore alcoholics who work as bartenders in bars. It's true. Now, some can't, you know, I guess some would, the lifestyle would cause them to pull back in, but I've, not, I've been around all kinds of alcoholics, like people in our church are alcoholics. You get around them, and if we're going to have a beer or something, they, they turn it down, so, well, but go ahead, please, go ahead, don't, don't. If anything, they're more offended if you don't, because you're reacting to them, because they've, they've been taught it has nothing to do with me, which is true. So I don't know where the evangelical church in America, on this thing of alcohol, is, and here I, I struggle because I, I just, all I want to do is call them names. And I know it's not nice. I feel like, you know, a liberal talking about Donald Trump. I don't have an intelligent argument. I just like to call names. You know, I just, I just need a dirty phrase. I want to call them morons, idiots. I mean, how can you possibly read the Bible and come away with the conclusion that they weren't allowed to drink alcohol? It is absurd. They point to a couple of scriptures in Proverbs that warns against, well, yeah. You need to be careful. But it doesn't say you can't. When they come up with these arguments that Jesus turned the water into grape juice, I mean, the intellectual dishonesty is beyond the pale. You can't possibly think that incredibly simplistic. It makes no sense. The Bible says they came to Jesus and said, man, you saved the good stuff to last. The only time you ever talk about wine is in that context. No one has ever taken some grape juice and said, boy, this is really the good stuff. It's patently absurd. Paul said, don't be getting drunk on wine. Well, if their wine was grape juice, that doesn't even make any sense. He just said, don't be carousing in drunkenness. Well, how can you have drunkenness if it's all just grape juice? It's not just grape juice. Paul wrote to the Corinthian church when they were taking communion and said some of y'all acting like gluttons and some of you getting drunk off the wine well how is that possible if it's only grape juice the ignorance Ugh. the intellectual dishonesty it is beyond comprehension I wholeheartedly completely reject the evangelical especially Bible Belt teaching that they cannot touch any alcohol at all it is absurd now, there are people who choose not to ever touch it. That's their choice. And in this context, I don't say anything bad to them, but on the other hand, they don't say anything bad to me. Almost every evangelical church in America, when they serve communion, it's grape juice. It's one of the most absurd things 
the church in America does. We serve wine at our, in a communion at our church. And many churches do, but not the evangelical, you know, the fundamentalist, no, no, no. Because <laughs> they don't want to cause someone to stumble. Stumble, it's this. It's a little tiny thing of really lousy tasting wine. But it's wine because that's what Jesus did. It was wine. They're not tequila shots, for heaven's sakes. But they have a fit about it. And there's people come to our church and they see us serving wine at communion. They're always giving, you can always tell these are the, these are the Baptists, <laughs> Pentecostals, you know, people, Southern Bible Belt churches that just freak out, you know. Uh, but they eventually get over it. But for heaven's sakes, of all the most ridiculous things. And let me, let me add this to my ranting about alcohol. I am completely against drunkenness. You should not be drinking so much but you get sauced. And there's some people in our church who do it. Don't do it. Stop that. You control yourself for the love of Pete. That's not what you're supposed to be doing. You want to drink something? Fine, I have a problem with that. But you get to the point where you're losing control of your facilities. Stop. The Bible's very clear. speaks very harshly against drunkenness, not against alcohol. Now, one could argue if you get rid of alcohol, then you get rid of drunkenness. Okay, that's a fair argument, but it's not a biblical stand. And if there's one thing that has hurt, I want to point this out to you in closing here. If there's one thing that has really hurt the church in America, historically speaking, it was prohibition. You study your history. The church was the strongest voice in America. If it wasn't for the church, there would have never been a revolutionary war. If the church had never gotten behind slavery, there would have never been the war against the South to end slavery. The church was like the major voice in America. Historically, it's an absolute scientific fact. You can be an atheist historian in America and they'll tell you absolutely. That's exactly the way it was. Do you know when it stopped? It's when the evangelical church decided to go beyond the Bible. They joined the Beyond the Bible Club. They're the ones who said, no, a Christian should never touch alcohol. And they were not contentious not doing it themselves. They were like these guys that Paul warned against. They don't want anybody else to do it. How dare you do it? So they got a constitutional amendment banning all alcohol. Do you have any idea how hard it is to get a constitutional amendment in this country? It's virtually impossible, but they did it. That's how strong the voice of the church was in America. When the church said no more alcohol, the whole nation had enough votes and states to cause a constitutional amendment to ban all alcohol. It was called prohibition. It was an unmitigated disaster. And within so few years, whatever it was, seven years, whatever, they had to pass another constitutional amendment to repeal the last one because it was a complete and utter disaster and ended in so many awful ways. And almost from that point in American history, the church has had no voice. Nobody, everybody quit listening to them. I would argue that when the evangelical church pushed the stupidity, it created great damage and lost all kinds of credibility in our nation. And to this day, I've never heard any Pentecostal, Baptist, Nazarene, or any other churches ever apologize. I think they all owe the nation an apology, all of them, all these denominations that were behind this. They should just go right out and say, we want to apologize, but they never did, probably never will. 
Historically, it was an unmitigated disaster. This ticks me off to no end, as you can tell. I've come alive in the last 20 minutes yelling about this. Okay, time to end this. So whatever you believe about these things, keep it between yourself and God. In other words, don't go yelling and screaming and get a constitutional amendment and make everybody be like you. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. Amen. But whoever has doubt is condemned if they eat because their eating is not from faith and everything that does not come from faith is sin. All right? Bottom line, don't get crazy about stuff. And if you're gonna get crazy about it, mind your own business. Live out your faith. Don't be trying to force someone. Don't intentionally try and cause someone to stumble. Again, I don't know what he's talking about. I've never seen it, but apparently it's possible. Don't, maybe because I've never tried to get somebody to stumble. Maybe that's why I haven't never seen it. But bottom line, keep these things, these debatable things, these disputable things, keep between yourself and God. If you really believe these things, despite what I'm yelling at you, then live them out. And there's people in our church. That's why we still offer grape juice for people who, under no circumstances, they don't ever want to touch wine. Okay, we honor that. It doesn't cause them to stumble because everybody else takes the wine. That argument, I think, is absolutely absurd. And when he says, I refuse to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall, they say, well, that means you shouldn't drink wine. Really? That means you shouldn't eat. (laughs) You should give up all your meat. (laughs) And they're not about to do that. All right? Anyway, so that's, that's all chapter 14. This whole struggle between the weak and strong, it is an argument Christians have to this day, and it's usually always over in our country, contemporary time, about alcohol. And Christians scream bloody murder because you're going to cause someone to stumble. As soon as you do something that they don't approve of, they scream the stumble card. And uh, it's absolutely absurd. All right, I'm done ranting and raving. All right, next week we'll pick it up again and uh, continue our study in the book of Romans. Let's end in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word and for your truth. We thank you for your goodness and grace. We thank you, Lord, that there is freedom in Christ. Help us, Lord, to be kind to people even when they disagree with us. Help us not to do things that would cause someone to intentionally stumble, though I'm awfully not clear at all when that happens. But help us be nice and not to judge and criticize each other. Help us to live out our faiths uh, in ways that we're comfortable with. That is fine. Everybody has different things about all kinds of biblical things. Help us to always be kind to each other and not to attack each other over these issues. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, see you guys next Wednesday.